Hi, everyone. Welcome to This American Quarantine, the show and website to help you survive and thrive while social distancing and sheltering in place. I'm Langdon Massage. forest, not just a park or a green space. But an expansive sprawl of trees, plants, wildlife. As we've mentioned before in prior episodes, Nature has a tremendous power to heal. And with so much distressing news, as we continue to shelter and stay safe, we wanted to bring you a deeper conversation to help inspire you to get out get some green time and feel better. Up first on today's show, Nitin Das. He is a forest filmmaker and founder of Healing Forest, a treasure trove of images, films, inspiring voices, and even classes to bring forests and people closer to each other. And Nitin Das joins us now. Welcome to the show, Nitin. Hi. Thank you so much, all the way from Pune, India. I know it's late your time. Yes, it's a lovely evening, though. So we've just got the rains coming in, and the monsoons are here. So it's a beautiful weather here in India. Oh, that's wonderful to hear that that the weather, even though it may be rainy and windy, uh, is a good thing. Yeah, especially in the hot Indian summers, it's a welcome relief. Oh, it must be. I'm here in Los Angeles, and uh, I've been here for about 12 years. No, 14. And it took me a while. I grew up in South Florida, which is very humid, very hot. It rains every day. And to come to such a dry place it, uh, was right. a difficult transition for me. Right. I told you off the air how honestly thrilled I was to have this conversation with you and and to explore, you know, the work that Healing Forest does and, and really to help, I think, bring some healing to our listeners. The world is really struggling right now. And, of course, in the United States, the mishandling of the pandemic response is causing a lot of, of human suffering. And I'm hoping that we can highlight ways that even in the midst of all of this, people can find a way to soothe and and even though we may not be able to quote unquote heal right now because we're in the middle of it, that there are readily available resources to us. And and for me personally, nature has always been a go-to. And so when I I came across your organization randomly, just in a search looking for, for things to help me soothe so I could stay positive during this. And so um, I'm very excited to... to to talk to you today about not just healing forest but also um and its mission and its amazing website i love your videos um but uh even just the forest itself for you how did you come to appreciate nature and and what is it that in your words nature and, and particularly the forest does for you, Nitin? 
Mm, so I'm primarily a filmmaker and I grew up in uh, very remote parts of India, which are very close to nature. So my childhood was spent, a lot of my childhood was spent, you know, running away from school and uh, <laughs> getting off the bus, um, and uh, discovering waterfalls and forests and all the wild creatures. And that somehow became an integral part of uh, who I was. And uh, as I grew up, I noticed that uh, most of the other people, especially when you moved back to the city, there was a big disconnect from nature. Mm. People didn't have that close connection or that close uh, relationship with nature. Everyone was so busy trying to either immerse in themselves in their gadgets or the television and there were so many distractions that there was very little time for uh, going out and as well as spending time with their own selves. And it was then that I, you know, read this uh, National Geographic article about the Japanese concept of forest bathing. And it really resonated with uh, what I had uh, personally felt and what I had personally experienced when I was in nature all the while, although I didn't realize it from that particular perspective of healing and of uh, uh, a therapy, therapeutic uh, way. But uh, when I read that article, it made a lot of sense to me. And that's how I started this uh, Healing Forest project. Can you describe one of those moments? Because I'm, I was actually quite surprised just now to hear you say there were waterfalls <laughs> close to you in India where you grew up. And that's just probably my geographic ignorance. But can you describe what that was like for you when you would go into these remote areas and, and see these beautiful sites? Yeah. So the thing is, um, India, one of the most majestic uh, geographical parts of India is the Himalayas, the highest mountain range in the world. And it spreads all the way from the northern part of India to the eastern part almost covering one entire border of our country. And it has some beautiful forests, lush, thick, and some uh, such rich wildlife and bird life that uh, is not found anywhere else in the world. So in one of those uh, eastern, northeastern parts of India, which is a very rich rainforest area, you know, filled with small mountains and hills with clouds and valleys and turquoise blue waters. Oh. Uh, there are these, uh, and they have these ancient tribes that still live there in their unique culture and customs, you know, with those bamboo uh, bridges hanging across those rivers. And it's one of the most uh, beautiful places on our planet, I feel. And um, going there, you feel that uh, you've stepped back in time and you've, uh, taken an escape from what really is the world, the modern world. I know you said you didn't really think about the concept of healing in this environment until you read about it, but what was it like in your body? What did you feel when you were in those environments, maybe when you saw them the first time? Mm, I think one of the big things is it makes you relate to something larger than yourself, you know, so all your thoughts, which are generally related to yourself and what you would do in the past about a memory or about some idea that you have about your future or some worry that you have, you tend to put that down for some time and you begin to uh, think less and feel more. So the very fact that uh, you are in the moment in some ways, it is a way of mindfulness. Many people find mindfulness very difficult to do or sustain over a long period of time. But if you try and do the same thing in nature, it happens so naturally. And it is just uh, built into our system right from our evolutionary days. I think it is too. And, and it's fascinating that science is, is finally catching up with that. There is so much research on on this now to the point of even identifying chemicals that certain trees release that have a calming effect on our neurobiology. 
and and um i found it really interesting in my work as an educator and as a nurse i've always included uh time outside for my patients and and always looking for more studies to back that up because as a nurse it has to be evidence-based and yes. for some reason, the evidence, the anecdotal evidence of how it made you feel, it's not enough, you know, for science. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I was fascinated when scientists actually began to refer to it as green time. And, and it's actually being prescribed now. And, and we can measure the effects on blood pressure, blood sugar. So there, there are these physiologic responses to our body, regardless of whether we are sensitive or we have an emotional response it, it's mm. it's healing at a very biological level that's right absolutely um, yeah there are many indicators uh, not just for the mind and the way the mind behaves and in, in the hormones that the body produces and what happens right to the level of the blood where you have the anti-cancer cells in the blood which increase in number and that count of the anti-cancer cells stays high for a long period of time even when you're out of nature. So all those things are really adding a lot of weight to what we feel intuitively. But I guess as somebody who has had that connection with nature, you don't really need any science to convince them. It just, uh, they know it. Because you feel it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Growing up in Florida, I spent a lot of time outside, of course, in, in different natural environments and, of course, the beach. So water remains one of those very healing forces. So I try to, in the middle of my hectic week, in the middle of a crazy concrete city like Los Angeles, I try yeah. to, to get to the ocean as much as I can and hike in the, in the hills as well. True. Yeah. You shared with me about recently being in California and getting to see Yosemite. How was that for you? Yosemite was uh, unlike any other place that I have seen. Uh, it is uh, such a magnificent place. Uh, it is a rare gem, I think, you know. Uh, anyone who goes to Yosemite and no matter what season you go in, it's different. Every Every season is different and every season is equally magnificent and it keeps revealing new treasures and new things at every corner whether it is the meadows or the beautiful placid river so tranquil and serene uh, it's just uh, I think America is gifted with uh, some of the most magical nature places in the world yes yes I love that you said gifted we need to, I think, see that and appreciate that and fully re receive it. And then we know we have to take care of it. True. You mentioned about the seasons. And for me, that's always been another metaphor that nature has for us. Because it has winter, it has spring, summer, fall. And there's so many parallels to our lives. The lifespan itself, going through yeah. a tough time, you know sometimes being barren so winter things can can seem dead and and that there's no hope but underneath the snow and in that frozen ground there are seeds and those seeds will blossom right and and that is one important thing that uh, we talk about in nature is this thing called insight meditation you know uh, insight meditation is something where you look beyond the surface and see the metaphor which is hidden uh, in in life, uh, the fact that the sunflowers, when they grow, you know, they change their face and move along with the sun. That's because the genes on one side, on the east side of the sunflower, they activate during the day. And then the genes on the west side activate during the night. So the sunflower turns its face back, turns its face back to the sun. And it's able to follow the sun and get the maximum out of it and then they found that the older sunflowers they stay fixed towards the east and that also has a benefit because uh, the bees they like to land on the warm flowers in the early morning 
So the older sunflowers have a higher chance of getting the bees to come and pollinate them. And it just makes you realize that everything in nature works to a rhythm. You know, there is a rhythm to everything in life. And every person has their own rhythm. And we somehow in our lifestyles, busy schedules, we tend to lose that rhythm or lose our connection with that rhythm. And we try to follow the herd rhythm that everyone has to work from nine to five. But uh, maybe that's not your rhythm. And depending on what your age is or what your um, what stage of life you're in and what your personal inclination is, you have to be in touch with your own rhythm. Wise words, Nitin. I'm just reminded of... <clears throat> of how the word disease can be broken up into dis-ease. And it's just making me think, resonating with what you're saying, that so much of our physical illness and, and, and emotional turmoil comes from how we're living. And we're yes. creating this disharmony, which is creating dis-ease. True. True. You know, um, if you look at it, one thing we talk about in our blog is that our health, the health, our mental health and our physical health is directly linked to the environment that we have. Most of the times, um, the environment that we work in is very toxic or there are relationships which don't really uh, add value or positivity to our lives. But um, uh, just stepping out into nature can heal your environment or the environment that you're in. And that really works wonders for your own mental health and your physical health. A great example, if you look back in history, if you look at the Mayan culture, you know, the Mayans had these huge towers and they were at the epitome of their civilization and yet they disappeared. And uh, people, when they tried to find out why did they disappear, they found that their growth rate had become so high that they stopped uh, caring for their rivers and they were more into production of food and all the uh, rivers were being ignored. And as the population increases, the resource became lesser and lesser and then the environment changed and the drought hit them and they just could not sustain the way they were going on. So the whole civilization collapsed. That's why I think, you know, as a metaphor, the rivers of our life are very important. Mm-hmm. The environment that we take for granted is very crucial for the, our own health. But it is somehow in the outer realms of our consciousness. I often have said in, in discussions, both personal and professional particularly when I hear so much emphasis in the news and with corporations that I've either worked for or consulted for, it's always growth, growth, growth. Um, Even a profitable company will, will be deemed unsuccessful if they don't continue to grow. And I always come up with, for me, the only thing in nature that grows unchecked is cancer. And cancer mm. always kills the host. True. True. I think uh, another uh, fantastic aspect of growth in nature is that you see, you know, generally we, Darwin talked about uh, people think it was uh, survival of the fittest. But now people are realizing it's not survival of the fittest because the dinosaurs were definitely fitter than the foxes right? or the smaller mammals, but it's not about the fittest. It's about survival of the collaborative. And uh, it's uh, people who can collaborate are the ones who can create winning relationships. And the real growth comes from those relationships. Uh, If you look at the forest, the forest is a relationship. The forest appears to be uh, a set of many different organisms living with each other, but they are all linked to each other, they are all related to each other and they cannot function without one another. The diversity of the forest is what really keeps it alive and thriving. 
and uh, the growth that we have in the human world is very competitive it's about uh, winning or upmanship or it's uh, how our education system is designed that you have to choose the best and you have to compete to beat the other person but uh, those people who succeed in life are the ones who have figured out the laws of nature and they've figured out that uh, success is actually about creating winning relationships and the inner growth is as much important as the outer growth and and when we focus on relationships it just reminds us that we're all interdependent yes you know and the forest is such a great example of that for me one of the most wonderful parts of of recent science in the last 10 years was discovering the the mycelium network underneath forest floors I was like, it's, it's Avatar in real life, you know? Um, but how trees, not even of the same species, will, yeah. who are supposed to be competing for these quote-unquote limited resources, right? How they will share resources. They will share messages of warning that this insect, this, this invading species is here. You know, I yeah. need some carbon. I need some potassium. And, and they will just share with one another. Right. And it's called the wood wide web. Yes, and, I love that. Wood wide web. And there is this uh, author, uh, an American author called David George Haskell, who's written a wonderful book called Song of Trees. Uh, and uh, he talks about how that even in the leaf, every leaf, uh, he says that, you know, there are millions of bacterial cells and fungi fungi and other organisms and even in the roots the roots he says are made of conversation uh, between the you know the fungi cells and the root cells and they're transferring information and they're transferring material and they're transferring dna so it's all about um, relationships for the tree is made of relationships and it's the same with people we are we are. True. I wanted to circle back to something that you said earlier, Nitin, that really resonated with me as well. You you spoke of the rivers of life. And in the moment, it was a bit of a metaphor with the Mayans and, and, and physically us taking care of the rivers that feed us, you know, physical rivers. But I'm now thinking of the other rivers that could feed us if we allowed it. Um, you know, nature itself, a, a sense of purpose, maybe the things that feed our, our mind, our body, our soul um, can be varied. And, and so we, I'm just thinking, you know, we've got to recognize them and, and allow, we've got to take care of those rivers, but we've got to keep them open and we've got to, we've got to go ahead and bathe in them ourselves. And also the metaphor for rivers is, through resilience, right? And especially in these days of uh, the pandemic where there is so much of uh, death and loss around us and there is so much of uh, challenges in front of us, then we have to know that the river is always stronger than the mountain. Uh, The way of the river is uh, always uh, going to lead us uh, away from our conflicts and troubles. And it's about exploring, like we had discussed earlier. It's about a new kind of exploration which tries to turn towards what's positive and turn towards exploring what uh, you know nourishes us and gives us hope and courage in these tough times. And moving towards that rather than staying stuck or bound by uh, what is stopping us or challenging us. I can tell you, Nitin, that personally that's extremely helpful for me. And quite beautiful. And, and a, a reminder that I really needed, that the river is stronger than the mountain. Yeah. Before True. I let you go, I want to chat a little bit about the website and remind listeners that it's healingforest.org. And again, how I came to it was through one of the beautiful films that Nitin and, and the team has made. And on the website, you, you can see them. Nitin, I just thought I'd ask maybe what are some of your favorite parts of the website? 
Well, the whole website, you know, was started uh, because I was collecting a lot of, uh, uh, I was making friends with a lot of people around the world who are tuned to nature because when they saw my film, they wrote back to me and uh, they were sharing their experiences, their practices. And um, so I was collecting a lot of their exercises and activities, what they do in different parts of the world. And through one of the friends, I also had a chance to go to Japan and visit a professor there who's working in forest therapy. And I was able to collect all the different exercises and put them into a course which people can do. Uh, and it's, you know, the whole course is given out in the giving spirit of trees. You know, you are free to give whatever you feel like in return for it. There is no set payment for it. Uh, but it covers exercises, activities, games, meditations, a lot of things from different parts of the world, all the way from Finland, Japan, America, Peru. And, um, and uh, you know, these resources are freely available. And I feel that uh, the more people we can get connected to nature, the more we have a chance of spreading healing, not just for people, but also for the forests around the world. Yes, I'm. Uh, I'm on the site, and how forest heal people was the film that brought me to you, which I'll be forever grateful for. But all of the other resources that you have available for free, and in, including, you know, wallpapers for your computer, games that people can play, the 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 poetry, the haikus, of course, the blog, and then you have so many films and so many courses i can't wait to personally dig in more deeply and and i'm just wondering nitin if you would like to come back and and maybe we can every so often circle back and you can just share some of the stories that have been shared with you and and some of the techniques that have been shared with you as we continue on this journey through the pandemic and, and hopefully coming through the other side, not just surviving, but, but thriving. And maybe we'll all be a little better for having done that together. Sure, it sounds like a good idea. I guess uh, this pandemic has at least shown us one thing that uh, we are all connected, you know, as a human race, as a species, we are all in this together. There are no geographical boundaries or political uh, boundaries separations in in nature it's all uh, an illusion and now we all in america have a new friend in india <laughs> right thank you so much nitin for being with us stay well and i look forward to having you back on the show very soon it's a pleasure thank you Langdon. really lovely talk to you that was nitin das forest filmmaker speaking about the wonders of nature to help us heal. To see any of those beautiful films or to learn about forest therapy, visit their website, healingforest.org. And Nitin is the inspiration for our first selection in the sneak peek of our new show, Pop-Up Radio. We'll be hearing that later in the show. And now, from the forest to the deserts of Southern California, producer and journalist Francisco Castro brings us an audio recording of good people doing great things. I'm Francisco Castro, one of the bloggers here on This American Quarantine. Today, we're talking with Iggy Navarro, a resident of the San Fernando Valley here in Los Angeles, who during this pandemic has been taking water, face masks, and other provisions to farm workers, those men and women who pick fruits and vegetables that we're able to buy in our supermarkets. Iggy also has a catering business, Iggy's Tacos, which is serving the community for their needs and also helping with the farm worker efforts. Iggy, thank you for joining us. Hi, how are you? Uh, could you tell us what inspired you to begin this effort of helping the farm workers? 
Well, I mean, it all starts with the uh, effort of everybody, which everybody seems to uh, not get it clear that uh, there's people out there really working, getting our fruits and vegetables to our market, you know, and these people seems to be like ghosts to everybody. Everybody seems to be scared of the pandemic. Everybody seems scared about the uh, virus. But then again, you see all these people in the fields working, you know, whether it's hot, cold, rainy, uh, smoggy, uh, you know, this pandemic, and they're still out there. So I go, why does people don't understand what uh, these guys are going through and they don't care about them? They seem like, uh, like they're ghosts. And that people think that by going to the market, they see the vegetables nice and fresh. And they think that maybe the market grows them there. But no, there's real people out there picking this stuff, you know. And that's what, you know, drove me to look at this thing more, more, uh, more deeply because one of my family members, actually my dad, my brothers, were out also. Uh, farm workers that were braceros. My dad came from Mexico as a bracero, and they used to contract him to come and work at the fields over here, and then they will go back. So all this thing came to my mind while this pandemic is is really uh, helping everybody to open their eyes and open their hearts and start to realize that that um, there's so much to think about when you're at home, you know. And that's what started me to think about the, the uh, farm workers. And how did you, how did this whole thing begin? I mean, uh, what, what did you do? Uh, well, I started by just putting a, a post in the, in this uh, group called Pacoima Represents, uh, where everybody just posts whatever they like and everybody seems to agree and or disagree. So I just posted a, a picture of the farm workers working out there. And um, and I seen another blog for, from another place too, and that there were actually people going down and just saying thank you to them. Down, I think it was in Salinas, California. And I said, you know what? We have that people over here too. We have a whole bunch of people that work in the fields here next next to us, which is Oxnard. And I said, you know what? Let me see if anybody wants to uh, come with me and just you know just take some water to them and say thank you to them. And I posted up uh, an ad and just said, hey, does anybody want to go? Uh, and everybody just started replying, yes, I want to go. And uh, we ended up uh, getting like 50 people. But at the end, only uh, 13 of them showed up. So I told them, you know what, are we going to go? Just let's just go ahead and take some water for them. And just go and cruise the whole fields and start, just stop and say thank you to them. And just give them water and, you know, just um Make sure they they they're well taken care of. And what? Uh, how many people showed up to that uh, the first trip? Yeah, it was only twelve cars, but uh, there was like uh, I will say about thirty people that were all together with us. Nice caravan. And uh, they were taking more than water, I understand. Yeah. Uh, once so I, I just asked them to bring water, but you know everybody was so everybody liked the idea so much that. Uh, one of the one of the girls that came by, they actually took, I think it was like twelve hundred dollars. She did uh, like 17, 17 envelopes with twenty dollar bills in there, and she just passed them out to the farm workers and just told them thank you for their hard work. Uh, other people brought chips, other people brought uh, uh, waters, Gatorades, and uh, some people some people brought some hats. So. We started, you know, gathering up all the stuff that we really needed, and we just drove down there to see what what we can do for them, and that's exactly what we did. What was the reaction from the farm workers when you guys showed up? Yeah, well, at the beginning they were kind of scared because you know it's a whole bunch, it's a whole crowd of cars just driving by and just yelling, and uh, actually they did get scared in the beginning, uh, but then when we started bringing out our our signs, you know, some uh, generous lady uh, made us some some signs uh, saying thank you, and uh, and they first thought that we were we were having a car wash. They started yelling, "What oh, you want a car wash?" I go, "No, no, no. We're here to help you. We're here to say thank you. We're here to 
you know, give you some water and, you know, got some stuff for you guys. So they were really scared at the beginning. But then after, they knew that, you know, we were just there for to, to, to thank them. How many trips have you done since then? Uh, we had four, four trips already. Uh, we've been uh, actually analyzing exactly what they really needed. And as, as the time went by, we, used to, we did uh, two caravans a month every two weeks. So we started noticing that they really need uh, like masks. They need long sleeve shirts, those big gardener's hats, the bandanas, gloves, uh, sunblocks. So we started, you know, asking for donations and uh, for the specific essential things that they really need. And uh, San Fernando Valley actually really, really uh, came through. And we have a friend of our mind that she does sewing. Her name is uh, Adriana. She works at Capras, and she donated over 200 masks for us to give them. And uh, we went out there, and we just gave them everything that, we, that they needed. Now that you've done this, uh, how does it make you feel? Actually, you know what? It doesn't make me feel any special. It just makes me feel... Uh, it makes me feel happy with my family because if I'm teaching this to my kids and they realize what I'm doing and, and they can actually see that I'm not just here for them or, or anybody else, I'm here for everybody that actually really needs help. You know, So it's basically uh, just to teach everybody that we could do more than what we do in the usual days. Now, the, the group that you formed, uh, it's called the San Fernando Valley Cares Caravan for Farm Workers. And they have, you have created a GoFundMe page to collect funds for future trips. You can find all the information in the blog post on this American Quarantine. Now, will you continue to, to do these trips? Uh, yes, uh, we were planning on continuing uh, doing the trips. Uh, we went through uh, everybody that asking for clothing, shoes, and we have so much people responded to this. Uh, they, we got over seven trucks full loads of clothing and shoes, and uh, at, up to now we still have a lot, And but we didn't get a chance to go down there because uh, the second wave of the pandemic got a little bit worse, and we didn't really want to expose ourselves out there. So what we decided, uh, actually, my one of my my right hand guys, uh, Alfonso, uh, he went and said, you know what, we'll just do, we'll just make a GoFundMe. That way, we don't have to go down there, but we could at least collect some kind of money and just take like a check to them instead of just giving them so much stuff and uh, you know getting everybody in danger. So, so it was it was him and my my other right hand person, which is Michelle. Michelle, she really helped me a lot too. So all three of us really made a good team and we made everything happen within us three. What do you say to other people who might want to do something similar? I would say uh, if they have the, the time and they have the urge and they have the, the heart to do it, uh, I, would, I would definitely back them up if they need any help, you know, or they want to join us or we can even make it a lot stronger. And we could go ahead and really help a lot more people, you know. But I do, I do uh, wish other people will actually see what I see and um, try to help these people out because they have no benefits, they have no rights. It's it's just really horrible, you know, what they do to them. Well, thank you, Iggy. Thank you for your help and and thank you for for the interview. Uh, this is Iggy Navarro, a resident of the San Fernando Valley here in Los Angeles who's been taking water, face masks, and other provisions to farm workers. Thank you so much, Iggy. Stay safe. Thank you. That was Francisco Castro, born in El Salvador, a graduate of California State University, Northridge, and journalist who brought us the story of Iggy Navarro and those inspirational volunteers who donated time, supplies, money, and I'd say love. I hope you recognize that song. That's the new theme song. 
for Pop-Up Radio, our new collaborative effort with the Los Angeles Public Library and the New York Public Library to bring you literary glimpses of inspiration and resilience. We're curating a collection of literary passages from fiction and nonfiction to help inspire and empower you. And as a sneak peek, I've actually chosen the book that Nitin recommended, The Songs of Trees, from David Haskell. Moss has taken flight, lifting itself on wings so thin that light barely notices as it passes through. The sun leaves not a color, but a suggestion. Leaflets spread and the moss plants soar on long strands. A fibrous anchor tethers each flyer to the swarm of fungi and algae that coats every tree branch. Unlike their crouched and bowed relatives in the rest of the world, these mosses live where water has no skin, no boundary. Here, in Ecuador, the air is water. Mosses grow like filamentous seaweeds in an open ocean. The forest presses its mouth to every creature and exhales. We draw the breath hot, odorous, almost mammalian, seeming to flow directly from the forest's blood to our lungs. Animate, intimate, suffocating. At noon, the mosses are in flight, but we humans are supine, curled in the fecund belly of life's modern zenith. We're near the center of the Yasuni Biosphere Reserve in eastern Ecuador. Around us grows 16,000 square kilometers of Amazonian forest in a national park, an ethnic reserve and a buffer zone connected across the Colombian and Peruvian borders to more forest that, seen through the lofty gaze of satellites, form one of the largest green spots on the face of the earth rain. Every few hours, rain, speaking a language unique to this forest. Amazonian rain differs not just in the volume of what it has to tell, three and a half meters dropped every year, six times gray London's count, but in its vocabulary and syntax. Invisible spores and plant chemicals mist the air above the forest canopy. These aerosols are the seeds onto which water vapor coalesces, then swells. Every teaspoon of air here has a thousand or more particles, a haze ten times less dense than air away from the Amazon. Wherever people aggregate in significant numbers, we lose to the sky billions of particles from engines and chimneys. Like birds in a dust bath, The vigorous flapping of our industrial lives raises a fog. Each fleck of pollution, dusty moat of soil, or spore from a woodland is a potential raindrop. The Amazon forest is vast, and over much of its extent, the air is mostly a product of the forest, not the activities of industrious birds. Winds sometimes bring pulses of dust from Africa or smog from a city. But mostly, the Amazon speaks its own tongue. With fewer seeds and abundant water vapor, raindrops bloat to exceptional sizes. The rain falls in big syllables, phonemes unlike the clipped rain speech of most other landmasses. We hear the rain not through silent falling water, but in the many translations 
delivered by objects that the rain encounters. Like any language, especially one with so much to pour out and so many waiting interpreters, the sky's linguistic foundations are expressed in an exuberance of form. Downpours turn tin roofs into sheets of screaming vibration. Rain smatters onto the wings of hundreds of bats, each drop shattering, then falling into the river below the bat's skimming flight. Heavy, misted clouds sag into trees and dampen leaves without a drop falling, their touch producing the sound of an inked brush on a page. That was from the first chapter of The Songs of Trees by David Haskell. I wanted to just share with you one more passage. This is from the third chapter. Newtonian spheres trace rings around the void. Earth and moon hoop the sun, setting the early rhythms of day and night. Moon circles a spinning earth, each tracing an arc in the other's sky. The spheres would fling themselves apart were it not for threads of gravity that interconnect all mass, whether that mass be a star a moony dust moat, or a drop of ocean. A bulge of water chases the moon around the planet. The ground also feels the moonward gravitational pull, but rocks are too stiff to leap. The oceans are more responsive, raising tides in an answer to the moon's draw and the Earth's spin. At any ocean shoreline, the interlocking orbital rings manifest themselves in flood and ebb. All the fueled cunning of humanity cannot move this volume of water, a heave of weighty ocean. Yet the rotating spheres emanate a silent power that emerges from nothing but relationship. When in their rotations, the spheres temporarily align along one axis. The combined gravitational pull of the sun and moon cause the oceans to rise high and fall low. The spring tides leaping, springing. Days later, moon and sun are out of alignment at cross purposes. Gravitational forces are anemic, causing gentle neap tides. Imagined from within the abstractions of celestial geometry, water's movement is orderly, imbued with mathematical elegance. Even when the overtones and ornaments of irregular shorelines and ocean depths are worked into the score, all seems harmonious. Earth and oceans are governed by the steady, predictable hands of the skies. That's our show. Thanks for listening. I'm Langdon Bassage. As always, we ask that you help us to help others. Amplify all truthful and helpful messages that you see on social media or encounter every day in conversation. You can follow us on Twitter at AMQuarantine and on Instagram at 411 versus 911. We'd love it if you helped us in our new campaign, I Wear a Mask Because... Take a selfie or a video and post it on social media. Make sure you tag us and include the hashtag I wear a mask because you'll be helping to positively influence others to take sensible and safe precautions and help slow, if not stop, the spread of COVID. And we might feature you in our upcoming pictorial. Last, donate if you can 
to help us keep the show and production and the blog in action, spreading life-saving information instead of germs. The site is secure, our SSL has just been updated, and all transactions are protected by the encryption of PayPal. That's the closing music for our new mini podcast that's coming soon, Pop-Up Radio. I hope, even though I'm not a professional voiceover artist, that you enjoyed my readings. If you are enjoying the show, please consider subscribing if you already haven't, and liking us and giving us a review, and of course, sharing us with all the members of your quarantine. If you'd like to follow me, on the Twitter, my handle is at Hey Langdon, just like you're trying to call me. On the next podcast, a special conversation, a full hour with one of America's top scientists who is the global lead for research for Amgen, the top biotechnology company in the United States. Fascinating discussion learning about how vaccines come into production, as well as new medication. It's a conversation you won't want to miss. Until then, remember, it is going to get better. So stay strong, stay well, and stay in touch. <laughs>